0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Azevedo and my wife, Melinda, and I, we are so happy, so joyful and truly blessed to be here at Faith Church. I am really looking forward to serving you and serving Jesus together. Are you ready for God's word? This morning, our reading is from Philippians chapter three. My brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more."
1: Hi, Faith Church. My name is Claudio Ruba, and today we are continuing our deep dive into the New Testament book of Philippians in a series entitled Joyful Loser. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 is our passage for today, and as you open your Bibles to it, I want to come clean about myself as it relates to this phrase, Joyful Loser. I like sports and I grew up playing all kinds of sports, but being from Brazil, my favorite sport was, and still is, soccer. And if there is one thing that I learned from sports, is that I am not a joyful loser. As a matter of fact, I can't think of any time When I went into any kind of competition thinking, oh, it's just a game. It doesn't really matter if I win or lose. No, I wanted to win, whether it was a game of marbles with my friends as a kid or a competitive soccer game in college. So when back in June, the men's ministry announced a cornhole competition, I thought to myself, that will be great. I'll get to rub shoulders with some guys and just have a good time but make no bones about it in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I want to win this thing. I want to win. It was a great sunny afternoon. The competition started. And as it turned out, my partner and I, who called ourselves the dynamic duo, (laughs) lost the very first game. It didn't even last 10 minutes, and we were out of the competition. Let me tell you, Joyful was not a word that I would use to describe how I felt that particular moment. But as the competition progressed, I was joined by a bunch of other not-so-joyful losers. And then I didn't feel so bad. Misery does love company. But isn't it amazing how quick we can lose our joy? We can be doing great and having a great day filled with the joy of the Lord. And all of a sudden, it happens. You lose the first game in a cornhole competition. Horrors. You have a heated argument with your spouse. Your kids give you an attitude. Someone cuts you off on your way to work. Or worse yet, you receive a bad medical report. Or some unwanted circumstance happens in your life. And we certainly had that happen with the pandemic, didn't we? Some of you lost your loved ones. Uh, loved ones or friends to this pandemic. Some of you lost your jobs or maybe even your business because of it. What is it that you're facing today that is stealing your joy? What is it? Now, we all face many unpredictable circumstances in life. And when that happens to us, we tend to spring a leak and the joy of the Lord just drains right out of our lives. But at the same time, we know what the Bible says, that we are to rejoice in the Lord Always. And the question is Is that possible? Is that possible? We're going to try to answer that today. Now, we all know that God's arch enemy is Satan. While God wants us to experience joy, Satan uses the unexpected circumstances that we face in life to create enough disruption and enough distraction in order to keep us from being joyful in the Lord. I believe that that is why the Apostle Paul begins this section of Philippians with an explicit command, not an opinion, but a command. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, and here's the command, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, sometimes when we read statements like this in the Bible, we don't stop to think about their meaning. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? It means that I choose to focus on the inner satisfaction and peace of knowing that I am right with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a state of mind when I choose to shift my focus from the circumstances of life, whether good or bad, to an understanding of who I am and what I have in Christ. And at first it seems that Rejoice in the Lord may be an odd thing for Paul to say to these Philippian believers because he has already acknowledged then in, verse, in chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, that they were suffering for the sake of Christ. They were suffering. But it is not odd at all because Paul knows that when we suffer, we tend to think that God is displeased with us, that we have fallen out of out of favor with Him. And that's when we are most vulnerable to the kind of thinking that says, That we need to earn God's favor back. That we need to earn back his grace. And at that point, our joy is already on its way out the window. And because of this vulnerability, Paul continues here in verse 1. He says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Paul's saying here, I know I said these things to you before. But I'm going to remind you of them again. Because these things, these truths will serve as a safeguard for you. Now, why do I need a safeguard, Paul? Because, as he's going to tell us, when we try to live for God, we all come face to face with all kinds of things that steal our joy in the Lord. And Paul is going to highlight three of them for us in this passage. The first one is found in verses 2 through 6. What is it that steals our joy, Paul? He says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. The first thing that tends to steal our joy is legalism, legalism. Now, legalism is not a word that we use very often, but it is something that we all experience when we try to find out how to make things right with God and or how to live the Christian life. So what is legalism? Legalism refers to the list of rules and regulations that sometimes religion and many times well-meaning Christians impose on other people. Most of them, most of the times, the items in the list have nothing to do with the Bible and everything to do with personal convictions and preferences and opinions and expectations of others. Have you ever met a legalist? If you have, you probably left their presence feeling judged and criticized because you, they let you know that you're not living by my list. Legalistic people are joy killers. They destroyed the joy in people's lives, in relationships, in families, in churches, and even in themselves. Even in themselves. Legalism is a problem that goes way back to the first century. Jesus referred to legalistic leaders, religious leaders of his day, as hypocrites and blind leading the blind. The Apostle Paul also had to deal with legalism all the time. All throughout his ministry, there was a group of legalists who followed Paul wherever he went. Paul would come into a city preach the gospel of grace, lead people to Jesus, and then move on to the next city. Immediately after he left the city, some legalistic teachers will come in and go and talk to these new believers and say, yes, believe in Jesus Christ. Trust him with all of your heart, like Paul preached. But there are also some things, some other things that you must do in order to be fully accepted by God. See, what they were saying is, you're not fully accepted yet. Just believing in Christ is not sufficient. You have to do some things yourself. And they will go on to tell the people they needed to be circumcised, abide by the Old Testament law. And then they will roll out their list of rules and regulations. This made Paul's blood boil. He does not mince words in verse 2, does he? He calls them dogs evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. Mutilators of the flesh, obviously a reference to circumcision, the right of circumcision, which these legalists were trying to impose upon Gentile believers. And Paul really was absolutely furious with them. Listen, Paul did not see legalism as just another way to God or a different way to live the Christian life. He saw it as a dangerous corruption of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of grace. And he highlights for us two dangers of legalism from his own personal life. First of all, he says, legalism leads to confidence in the flesh. And he mentions confidence in the flesh three times in these short verses. And what he's referring to is his confidence in his own ability to earn God's favor through self-effort. He says here, I was confident that all my devotion and obedience to the Jewish tradition would please God, earn his favor, and make me right with him. But all it did was to fill me with pride, with arrogance, and self-reliance. See the danger of such confidence today among believers is that it convinces you that what Christ did on the cross is not enough and needs to be supplemented by your efforts and obedience to a set of rules how you should dress what music you should and should not listen to what movies you should and should not watch what political party or candidate you should or should not support etc 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 Legalism leads to confidence in your own abilities to make things right with God. Confidence in the flesh. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Legalism leads to a false sense of righteousness. By his own admission, Paul convinced himself that all his efforts made him righteous in God's eyes. And a lot of people today, just like Paul, convince themselves that they are right with God because of all the religious stuff they do. I go to church. I try to be nice and help people. I volunteer to serve every now and then. I give up my offering. I help my neighbor whenever they are in need of me. And even though these things are all good things, and they make you feel good, they cannot make you righteous before God. In Jesus' day, the people looked to their religious leaders as the prime examples of righteousness. But here's what Jesus said about their righteousness in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. He says this, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus was saying is that all the self-righteous religious stuff that we do is not enough. We need a much greater type of righteousness. And in Romans chapter three, verses 21 and 22, Paul writes about this righteousness that Jesus was talking about here. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness from God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Did you get that? It's given, not earned. And it's given to all who believe. The moment that you and I placed our our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, guess what happened? The righteousness of God was placed upon us. Righteousness simply means to be right or to make things right with God. And very early in life, we begin to get this sort of annoying feeling that things are not right between us and God. And we engage in a spiritual journey to find something, something that we can do to reconnect with God. That's where legalism comes along and says, well, here's a list of things that you can do do this, do this, and do this, and you're going to earn God's grace, you're going to earn God's favor. But you know what? Christians can also slip into legalism. I know I did. In my teens and 20s, I attended a church that preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, but, but also had such a list. It wasn't a written down list, but it was one that after attending the church for a little bit of time, you sort of caught on to it. It wasn't long before I learned the list and began to live by the list. and never stopped to think if the list was really grounded in God's word I just assumed that it was because that's the way that everybody lived. Always feeling like I wasn't doing enough, that God wanted me to do more. And if I did, then he would be pleased with me. Until one day, I was driving to seminary, preparing myself for the ministry, and I heard a message of God's grace in the car radio. I knew about God's grace, but that message just touched my heart and God used it in my heart and it's as if God was saying to me, Claudio, you have been trying so hard to earn my grace and my favor when I have already given it all to you when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my son, when you were only a young boy. Whatever you do for me, Claudio, do it because you love me. Not to earn more grace for me. You already have all of it. Let me tell you, that was a liberating moment for me. The message of grace freed me to rejoice in the Lord. Legalism is a heavy burden to bear. It will frustrate the living daylights out of you and steal your, the joy right out of your life. God never intended for you to live that way. He never did. So reject any legalistic tendencies and choose to live under God's grace every moment of your life. Legalism will steal your joy. Living under grace will preserve it. But Paul continues, and he reveals a second thing that often steals our joy. And that is found in verses 7 through 11. He says here, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ Jesus. Faith in him. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, the second thing that tends to steal our joy is wrong priorities. Wrong priorities. Now, everybody who invests in the stock market wants to make a good profit on their investments. But the tricky thing, though, is to know where to invest your money. And so professional investors will spend much time and energy evaluating what companies and what stocks are worthy of their investment. Unfortunately, many times we as Christians are not as cautious with our spiritual lives as we are with our possessions. We never stop to evaluate whether we're investing our lives in what will produce spiritual profit. In these verses, Paul's talking about all of the things that he thought were worth. The investment of his life, things he thought would draw him closer to God, would make him right with God, and he named them in verses 4 through 6. And Paul says here, but when I came to know Christ, that is, when I came to experience his work of grace in my life, I realized that all that I did to earn God's favor was nothing but garbage. Actually, the word garbage is a socially sensitive translation of the Greek word sabala here more literal translation is manure. Manure. And so Paul is saying here, when I experienced Christ in my life, I realized that everything I was doing to please God and to make me right with him was nothing but a big load of manure. Paul was the epitome of a joyful loser. He was willing to let go of his pedigree, of his religious tradition, of his self-effort, and embrace God's grace in his life. Because Paul knew, as Pastor Joe reminded us a couple weeks ago, God wins in the end. God wins in the end. When Paul experienced Christ in his life, he also experienced the joy of being right with God. And from that moment on, getting to know Christ better and better became the top priority in his life. That's where he was going to invest his life. Think about it. Regardless of how long you've been a follower of Christ, how well do you know him? How well do you know him? The problem that we have is that this world, like we said before, provides us with a boatload of distractions. That tend to sneak in and to become priorities in our lives. Career, family, hobby, sports, friends, relationship, money, possessions, addictions. And from my own personal life, I've noticed that at every, every, every stage of my life, I had to deal with something that had sneaked in and disrupted my attention from Christ to other things. Sometimes it was related to ministry or to difficult people, finances, unexpected circumstances, and the list goes on and on. What do you do when you recognize that the wrong priorities have sneaked into your life and are stealing your joy in the Lord? I'll tell you what I do. I first come clean with myself and with God. And I confess to Him that my sin of neglecting Jesus and allowing other things to become a priority in my life. You have to do that. You have to come clean with yourself and with God, and to confess to Him. Secondly, I ask God for a spiritual reboot, a renewal a renewed desire in my life to get to know Christ better and better so that his character will be reflected in my life. There's nothing that I want more than to become more like Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the Christian life, to become like Jesus. And thirdly, very important, I remind myself daily of who I am and what I have in Christ. On the desk lamp in my office and on my espresso machine, I have attached a magnet I had it made many years ago with 12 statements, brief statements of who I am and what I have in Christ. And it says, I am loved by God. I am adopted into his family. I am redeemed, I am forgiven, I am set free, I have God's spirit in me, I have an inheritance in heaven, I have a hope, I have a promise, I have God's power, I have peace with God, I am part of God's people, therefore I'm going to love and live for my God to my dying breath. Listen, there's not a day that passes that I don't remind myself of those 12 statements. They are brief but powerful statements that bring me right back to what is the most important thing in my life, and that is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of uh, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. The verb to know here emphasizes knowledge that comes from experience, and Paul saying here: Yes, I know Christ, but I want to know from experience what it's like to walk with Jesus every day, to experience His power in my life, to be one with Him when I suffer for His name's sake, to hold on to my faith and to my last breath, and one day to experience what it's like to be raised from the dead. That's what I want. To know and experience Christ in new and fresh ways became Paul's top priority. And it needs to become yours and mine. When you and I placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that was only the beginning of our spiritual journey. God wants us to get to know his son better and better, to walk with him faithfully through life, and to allow his character to rub off on us. So choose to make growing in Christ the top priority in your life. The wrong priority will steal your joy, but the right priority of knowing Jesus better and better each and every day will preserve your joy in the Lord. So legalism steals your joy, wrong priority steals your joy, but Paul reveals yet a third thing that can steal your joy, and it's found in verses 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The third thing that can steal your joy is dwelling in the past. Dwelling in the past. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to think that Paul had it all together, but he says here, I have not obtained, I have not arrived, and I have not taken hold of it all. These are not words of someone who has it all together, but of someone who is striving, striving. The verb press on in the Greek carries the idea of running a race, and Paul saw his life with Christ as a marathon race. And in a marathon It really doesn't matter if you're on mile marker five, 10, 15, or 25. The important thing is for you to cross the finish line and win the prize. The prize comes only after you finish the race, not before. Paul says, I don't dwell on the past. In other words, I don't don't worry about the miles that I've already covered. I'm worried about the ones that are ahead of me. I focus on what is ahead of me, on the future. The past can be both a blessing and a curse, can it? The past can remind us of lessons to, that we learn in, that, that, in life that served us well in the present. But the past can also cripple us with memories of failures, mistakes, disappointments, injustices, unfair treatment, and even our own personal sins. I have met people who are stuck also on their past accomplishments and successes. That's all they talk about what they have done in the past. They live in the past, and because of it, they can't see what God has for them in the future. And the same is true when it comes to our walk with Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't experience life with Christ in new and fresh ways if we're always looking to the past. Life with Christ is meant to be a fluid and constantly evolving experience, not stagnant and joyless. To constantly look at your past will keep you from the joy of getting to know and experience Christ in new and fresh ways and from the price that God has for you when you finish your race. See, you can't run my race, and I cannot run your race. When God took hold of Paul, He determined what his marathon race would be like. Paul had plenty of things in the past for which to regret. He had persecuted the church. But instead, he chose to keep his focus on the rest of the race in front of him. We have to do the same. When God took hold of you and me, he determined what our race would look like. And we also, like Paul, have to choose to focus on what is ahead and not on what is behind us. Whatever is behind us is gone. Here's a simple truth dwelling in the past will steal your joy, but focus on the future will safeguard it. So let me go back to the beginning. Paul's initial command to us was to rejoice in the Lord. And my question to you this morning, this, today is this. What is it that is stealing your joy in Christ? What is it that is stealing your joy in Christ? Could it be that maybe you substituted grace for legalism? Maybe you're asking yourself, how can I detect if legalism is creeping into my life? Well, ask yourself these three questions. Question number one, why do I do what I do as a Christian? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you go to church? Is it because you're trying to earn God's favor? You're trying to earn more grace? Or is it because it's an expression of your love for God? Question number two, do I have a list of rules that I believe a true Christian must follow? Here are some of the rules that we tend to impose on other people. To be a true Christian, you must belong to a particular political party. You must only hang out with other Christians. You must agree with me on every social issue. You must dress or look a particular way. You must worship the same way that I do. You must not ever, ever, ever struggle with questions about your faith. Having a list by which we judge others is a sure sign of legalistic tendencies. Here's the third question. Do I feel that God is always displeased with me? That I never measure up? And that I need to do more to please him? Are you always trying to do more so that you can gain more favor, more grace, more more acceptance from God? Let me encourage you today to reject any trace of legalism in your life and embrace God's work of grace plus Nothing. It will free your soul and will lift the burden you've been carrying. Maybe the reason you can't rejoice is because your priorities are out of whack. Maybe Christ is no longer the top priority in your life. He was once, but no no longer is. Something else has taken his place. It doesn't have to stay that way. Come clean with yourself and with God. Confess it to him and get things right with him. Remind yourself daily of who you are and what you have in Christ. Go home, make your own personal statement of faith and remind yourself daily of who you are and and what you have in him. And ask God today for a spiritual reboot, a fresh start in your walk with Jesus Christ. These things will help keep Christ at the, as the top priority in your life. But maybe you can't rejoice because you're looking back instead of forward. You're constantly looking and thinking of your past failures, mistakes, and sins they've committed. And maybe even you convince yourself that God couldn't possibly love you anymore because of the things that you've done. And you're carrying this... Unsurmountable amount of guilt because you think that somehow you need to earn his favor back. I'm here to tell you in the authority of God's word that that's just not true. God has a wonderful and a glorious future planned for you. So run your race. Not looking back, but looking forward to what God has for you each and every day as you walk with him and as you live for him. Listen, do you want to safeguard your joy in Christ? Embrace God's grace. Make growing in Christ the top priority in your life and focus on what God has for you in the future. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Take us today from where we are to another level in our walk with you. Fill us, O Lord, with the joy of the Lord and make us more like Jesus.